Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Threat Talk and the last episode of 2021. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's episode asks the question, are there smarter ways to gather and apply threat intelligence? Now, everyone talks about threat intelligence as if it was just a thing, um, and I just did it in the title of the podcast. But in practice, it involves a blend of many different feeds applied in many different ways to address many different security challenges. So in short, leveraging threat intelligence to its maximum effectiveness is far from easy. So we've invited a pair of seasoned threat intelligence experts, now each one with a different area of expertise and focus that's hopefully going to give us some great perspective. Now, Bruce McFarlane, who was with us several months ago, is a senior product manager for Infoblox managing threat intel integration, management, distribution technologies, and well as many of the relationships with different sources of threat intelligence. So thanks for coming back again, Drews. Thank you very much for having me, Bob. And we have first-timer David Seaman, who's also a senior product manager at Infoblox, but he manages a number of reporting and investigation tools that leverage threat intelligence to deal with, you know, how do you shorten and speed threat investigation and response. So, David, we're really glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for inviting me, Bob. Uh, this is a really fun topic, and uh, I, I'm excited because we get a lot of questions about this. So this is a great chance. Uh, it should be a fun call. And we're looking forward to a lot of the unique perspective you're going to bring, because Drews has been here before, and we've talked a lot about the, the need for different kinds of feeds um, and how no two feeds are really the same. Um, even if you buy two antivirus products from the same vendor, the overlap is exactly. amazingly minimal. Um, we talked about a number of university reports. One was done by a group of universities in Europe, another one by a group of universities in North America, but they both came to the same conclusion over the last couple of years that uh, there's just not a whole lot of, of duplication between feeds. Each one's unique. And what that means is that if you're only using one or two feeds, you've probably got huge gaps in the indicators that you know you would depend on, those IOCs. So um, let's start by just summarizing all of that, Drew. So from a pure IOC perspective, what kinds of threat feeds should somebody be considering for those? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, honestly, it's, it's a matter of, um, you know, every different organization has a slightly different uh, uh, footprint and, and a set of requirements. And there's a lot of different things to, to choose from. So really, when you're, when you're trying to decide on a, on a strategy for your security, uh, it shouldn't be to go all in on, on one particular source. Uh, you should really have a platform that allows you to mix and match uh, between some of these different feeds, because you may find that that one particular vendor has a uh, has a focus on something that is specifically of interest to, in your organization, and you're not going to know what those things are uh, until you actually try them out. And you you, you so often what we have uh, customers do uh, is they'll go in and they'll put a lot of these feeds in uh, in a logging mode as opposed to a blocking mode to see which ones are actually providing value and which ones aren't. So, you know, that way you can we can observe things and say, okay, this this specific feed uh, seems to be focused a lot on ransomware or a lot on on malware command and control or, or whatever whatever happens to be of, of specific import to your uh, your organization. Uh, there are some other ones uh, that seem to be active, but maybe uh, some of the indicators that are are being flagged on that we would consider those to be false positives because you know sometimes um, Really, from an organizational standpoint, and, and you'll you'll hear this as being a trend that, that I talk about through the course of uh, this conversation. 
Um, just like every different organization is going to have a slightly different um, focus in terms of what types of threat intelligence is important to them. Uh, each different organization is going to have a slightly different sensitivity towards uh, false positives versus you know, detections. And you, uh, where this really becomes evident is you know, things like universities, they don't typically want to block a whole lot of things because people are doing research and, and, uh, and there's not necessarily a lot of communication. So they're going to err on the side of not accidentally blocking things that are potentially benign, uh, even if they let the occasional malicious indicator come through. But if you are, you know, you are a uh, you know, Fortune 100 retailer and you have a point of sales terminal solution, you don't want anything going in and compromising that. There's some really sensitive data in there. So you, you really go, it comes down to figuring out what's really important to you. Uh, you know, how sensitive are you to, to false positives? How aggressive do you want to be? And, uh, and you really find that out by deploying a number of them, seeing what works for you and what doesn't, and, uh, and making your strategy based on that. Well, and a lot of these feeds are specialized too. So, I mean, like if you're in certain industries or, you know, even from a country level, they may say, hey, you uh, should not be going to certain other countries for doing business and things like that. And they put those kinds of lists up. Um, there's a lot of very specialized lists. Yeah, there's the, and there's a, uh, and when you talk about the yeah, threat intelligence, there's really, um, you yeah, that kind of focuses you on one particular type of feed. There's, there are feeds that are not really threat-based, but more policy-driven. Uh, and some examples of that are, we have feeds specifically for Eastern European countries. Uh, and there, you may have a policy inside your organization that you don't want to communicate with people in, in Eastern Europe. Usually that ends up being a bad sign. So we have a feed that's just for that. Doesn't necessarily mean that anything that you'd be communicating with over there is malicious. It's just there's a company policy based on that. Or there's a... A, a country, uh, there's a feed that we have for sanctioned countries, and that's typically just North Korea and uh, and Iran right now. But you know that you know what comprises that sanctions uh, feed can be different. Again, not necessarily anything malicious, but you know, if your organization has a a policy that they want to enforce to prevent that type of communication, uh, you can use feeds for that as well. So there's there's you know different you know different purposes for different feeds. Some of them are entirely threat driven, and some of them are more policy oriented. I might yeah. say that that same kind of idea is knowing your goals for your security posture is as important as the feeds, right? So, to to Drew's example, a, a university, especially their public Wi-Fi, not going to be a whole lot of protection there. They're going to want to keep it very very open uh, in most universities, but um, uh, a military installation. They're absolutely going to turn on every possible thing, and they're not worried about false positives. They're not worried about that sort of thing. So going into it, when you're looking at a feed, really knowing what your goals are before you even start examining any of those, whether it's our customers or any others, is super important. Really, where are our goals? You know, How bad is it for, for a false positive, or do we want to really block aggressively? So figuring that out before you even begin to look at the feeds at all is super important. And I always ask folks, that don't just turn everything on. <laughs> Get an idea of what you really think. What would, what would the business consider uh, useful in that respect? So yeah, it's an excellent point, Patrice. Yeah, and you know, it's the full spectrum. You've got the people say, hey, why don't you just block everything and only whitelist the places they need to go? And that might work um, for your POS systems because there's only three other things that that terminal should be connecting to. But 
um, you know, even in my grocery store now, they have Wi-Fi so that I'm supposed to be able to use their app and, and do, you know, comparison research on, on uh, um, you know, how's this couch compare to that sofa and is it, you know, you know, what are the ratings and all that? They, they've opened all of that up. So even places that used to be a lot more restrictive are being very open to that dormitory example that you both were discussing. So, but now we're going to go beyond um, where Drews and I have really dug into. And this is where, David, we're, we're leaning on you. <laughs> IOCs, that's what everybody always thinks about. Threat feeds, so it's all, you know, all these indicators of compromise. And again, that's how we tend to talk about it. Very simplicity. Uh, simplicity? Simplistic. <laughs> I will learn to speak English soon. Um, <laughs> then we go to the tools that I've seen your, your grouping uh, group working on where you're pulling information about threat actors and, and things like that. So what kind of a feed is that? Where do I go? And, and so what can I get beyond IOCs? Yeah, that's a good question. So once you've gone past, right. And I, and I, and as I said, we get questions on this all the time. So it's really excellent. Um, you know, once those customers that we talk to and say, yeah, turn on those feeds, monitor the feeds and such, and they start seeing things happen, right? They start seeing, oh, there's bad stuff in my environment. Um, that's when we start getting the, the questions about, well, should I just be blocking things? And as wonderful as it is, most people say, I've got lots of feeds and I'm blocking all the bad stuff. They don't realize that that data is just a treasure trove of information for figuring out other things about their environment, right? You can actually use those IOCs, those indicators of compromise, uh, someone going to an IP address, someone going to a domain, anything tied to a threat that normally you would just block. But instead of looking at just the block, you can actually look to find out what is that block and what is that block rule related to, right? Is it is it related to a major malware? Is that malware tied to anything in particular? Is that uh, is that something that's specific to a specific threat actor, right? Maybe we know that a specific nation state or something like that could be attacking only certain industries. Well, you can actually find some of that information just from looking at where your blocks are hitting, where your IOCs are working. So by tying some of the IOCs you see being triggered in your rules, you can actually go back to actually figure out um, maybe we're being targeted maybe we need to take special action. And, and what's really interesting is taking that information and using it to actually better the rest of your environment, all of the rest of your security controls. Everyone hopefully has, has layered securities, firewall and endpoint and all the fun stuff that most people have. But you know, if you're getting a bunch of threats that are coming through and you see them, they're all typically, let's say email-based threats, right? Well, maybe it's time to go tweak your, your email settings or, or add a better block list to your mail server, right? You can actually take mail server specific anti-spam and things like that. Maybe you need to add that kind of security to a mail server or any number of other areas, but just taking that data, you can actually research to find out the attacker, the methods of the attack and other things, not just, hey, we blocked badguy.com. That's great that you blocked it, but what does that mean? So yeah, yeah. that is a major area. Well, and I, I, I remember working with somebody that they had an attack when they went into the data they, and found out, okay, you know, first you got to figure out the name and almost no two antivirus companies will ever agree on what the name of the thing is. So first <laughs> yeah. of all, you got to figure out what names, names, plural, do I have to search for? Figure out it's with, you know, this particular attack group. And then you realize that, wow, that attack group has been, they've been targeting healthcare for years. 
but I'm in the financial services industry. All of a sudden, they're starting to attack me. Well, don't just stick with that one attack. You want to go back and say, what else did they do in healthcare? Because they're constantly evolving that attack. And so just because the current documentation says this attack does these three things, if you go back and look at what they did when they used the same techniques, the same tools, just in a healthcare industry, you find out they did five or six other things that when you know that, now you have other things to go look at. So again, just taking that IOC, tracing it to an attacker, finding out what other things they have, other indicators to look for, it broadens what you're able to look for, you know, because otherwise you're just stuck. Uh, again, if you're just with the IOC that came in, okay, who else went to that website? useful, important. I can now find five other people that are probably infected. Um, but there's a lot more in there when you start connecting it. Drew, she had some comments. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, <clears throat> one of the, uh, you know, the brass ring that everybody has when they, you know, when they're trying to set up their security system is they would love to be in a circumstance where you can just kind of set and forget, you know, like I'm going to set this up. It's going to block the bad guys and I can go home early on Friday. Uh, and that's, you know, with as nice as that goal is, it never really happens that way. Um, so you're know, having this, you know, when, when, you know, when we do block things really, you know, uh, it warrants going in and seeing, okay, so who am I being attacked by? Uh, and one of the key questions that, that you often have is, uh, you know, was I caught in the middle of a drive-by, you know, in other words, you know, was this some piece of ransomware that everybody in the industry is, is, is getting, or is this one of those nation state type actors who, you know, who are, you know, only, you know, uh, you know I'm in the oil and gas uh, 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 vertical and, and this is just attacking oil and gas. And, you know, that, set, that should set off alarm bells in anybody's head if they find out that, you know, okay, so the types of threat that I'm, I'm facing now, these aren't your typical drive-bys. They're not stuff that somebody just clicked on the wrong thing. They're, I'm, I'm, basically in the crosshairs of a targeted attack. And that that should change your posture. It should change a lot of the decisions that you make in terms of how aggressive you get to, uh, uh, you know, you, you have to be in terms of trying to block some of this stuff. And quite frankly, and maybe a lot of people here will, will like this idea too, you know, when, when you actually get that evidence that you are under targeted attack, you can then take that information back and ask for, like, if we need to, upscale the budget for our security solution, having the, the evidence that, you know, we're not dealing with your run of the mill thing anymore. We're in somebody's targeted crosshairs and we really need to have a presence that, you know, is equal to that. Otherwise we're gonna be on the cover of the Wall Street Journal next week. Well, yeah. And I remember um, your oil and gas example is right on. I remember a particular one where um, a country was opening up a lot of offshore uh, oil fields for prospectors. And so various companies were doing their research and their investigation. And then magically certain plots, the prices for those were going up. And it was just as whoever was doing the investigation had completed their geological survey and said, hey, this place is probably rich. And before the next morning, that nation was raising the prices on those plots. And they discovered there was malware that it was stealing research. It was specific, not even just targeted at, at certain companies, but targeted at a certain piece of data that everybody was doing. But yeah. the response for that, going to a lot of the stuff, what David, your tools do, 
by having that information about not just this is the IOC, but who's behind it, what do they try to do, what's the goal of the attack, what's the objective, they then were able to say, okay, those kinds of reports, here's how we handle them going forward. They get encrypted this way. Only these five people are allowed to see it, you know, and they put in measures to uh, to protect because it was just that one piece of information, that one report was the only thing anybody was stealing. It, it wasn't the terabytes of data that we tend to see in the headlines. I couldn't agree more. And and what we we see, of course, is is the drive-by downloads. They still happen, right? The, you know, just the 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 attacks of opportunity. You happen to go to the web wrong website. You happen to type in the wrong one. But really, the targeted attack is just as normal as it gets now. And it's just on such a much more grand scale. Um, we're seeing all these these industries and countries and specific applications, right? Something comes up with a vulnerability within minutes of a new vulnerability being out, we're staring to see activity around it. And we see a new spike and say, that looks like a new indicator or something happening, right? Um, but being aware that you might be getting a lot of special attention, um, but it might not even be because of what you do. So, so using tools to say, how is this? Maybe this is part of attack, and you could say, well, this this group is attacking just uh, to use your example, you know, oil and gas or something to that effect. Where you say, well, that's not us, right? And you've gotten that kind of information. You can see that maybe it's only one or two machines in your environment, and what methods they're using, and all this from the threat feeds, mind you, right? You know, use that data, use it from multiple sources to try to figure out what's going on. But if you take that data and say, well, this is a target attack, but it shouldn't be me. Well, we have a lot of cases where um, some of the companies that are attacked don't realize and they ignore some of the noise, right? They consider it noise. It's not targeted to them because they don't run a certain piece of software. They're not in a certain industry. But if you look at it carefully, you'll find that sometimes it's because maybe this company is doing business with one of those other companies and they didn't realize that they're the attack is they're going to go sideways, right, to a partner. <laughs> We've had that happen where, you know, in the news there were some like major air conditioning companies that that were attacked and used as the entry point to get to a major retailer, right? So that kind of thing happens, but is ignored because this is an attack not against them. They don't do point of sale attacks. That kind of thing could be ignored. So there's a lot of interesting things like that to learn from and to be actually know about the attacks from all this threat intel is huge and puts you ahead of the attacker. Yeah, and um, you know, you're right on about the, um, I mean, we've got to worry about supply chains. We've got to learn about our vendors, uh, consultants, um, and there's so many aspects to that. Now, one of the things that I've seen in your tool that I want to call out specifically, uh, you you manage, it's not sold separately, it's just a feature in, in one of the Infoblox products called Dossier. And it includes a pretty cool capability where I can just put in like a, a domain for, you know, this is the URL that I, I think is causing me problems. And then it pulls up a lot of information, but it ties back to the stuff Drews does. For example, it'll just say that, oh yeah, I've got, you know, out of my 20 some odd feeds, this is actually identified as malicious in seven of them. Um, or it might just say one. Just having that kind of information where, you know, it's not that the, the tool itself has a, a whole ton of, or that feed has a whole ton of data, but the fact that it can be correlated with other feeds, because if it's the only one that says it's bad and it's a less known feed, that alone tells you something. It gives you context. And so I, I really like the fact that you're able to not just put all the feeds, there's my IOCs, 
but now you're leveraging all the feeds to help prioritize whether uh, you know this is a real issue to understand it in more detail so that I don't have to go to eight different tools to find it. It's all in, in one. And, and this is where the industry is coming. I know that, you know, we've got people like Splunk that, um, you know, they used to, they were a SIM. That's all they were. And calling them a SIM now is kind of like really underselling what their product does because they have so many plugins and tools um, and integrations with other companies' products that they can become a hub for this kind of stuff. So how on David, David, on your side, so I just gave the one example of having access to all these other tools. What other information, is, you know, can you pull together to give context to an analyst who has to look at, I had an incident, I'm in, I've been told to investigate it. What other stuff can be at my fingertips? What's possible from here? Absolutely. So just like you had mentioned, knowing things like how many feeds actually also detected that indicator. That's pretty huge, right? To know that maybe as one of our feeds, Infoblox, and it's two or three others that you might've also plugged in. Knowing that there's other um, vendors that also think there's malware on a website, you know, from a, a virus total type of thing, type of open domain to your private feeds as well. Being able to see it in one spot, that does help. But also at the same time, we're gonna tie it into things, anything from the registrants who is information, certificate information, if they have one apparent, they're gonna, we're gonna look at what IP addresses they've been moving around with. We're gonna look at other things about that, um, that particular IOC and what it's related to, and to be able to display some of that data to you. We're gonna tell you whether or not any of your own devices are going to that IOC. That's pretty, pretty scary sometimes. When some of our customers say, you know, I saw this on one machine. Oh no, it's on a hundred machines. Oops. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing where you start to get, okay, this might be dangerous and it's spreading kind of thing in one view is what we've gone for. But yeah, giving you that that capability of knowing how it's happening in your protection levels, but also now you have things like, in many cases we have data based on the MITRE framework. So if you're not familiar, that's one of the well-known standards across the security envir environment that, that goes into how a attack works and the different stages of the attack. So we can actually show a little bit about how that works and where you're in that when, when this IOC is triggered. Um, we can tell you other things about, well, just about in who's attacking you. It's really helpful to actually even sometimes we'll see who the attacker is. Maybe we say this is this particular nation state, or this is this particular attacker group. That kind of information is huge just to know uh, sometimes what's going on and uh, the fact that we're gonna pull that all into one spot instead of you trying to Google everywhere around. Of course, we pull metadata from 20 different areas. Um, and we're a lot of the customers, since you actually just mentioned the fact that tools like Splunk. Splunk is great, but Splunk is greater <laughs> with a little more information and context. So you see something happening from your, your antivirus products and your firewall and everything else, and it correlates and says, there seems to be something going on. But then you can actually tie that dossier data into Splunk or your ticketing system or anything else like that, so that when you go to actually investigate it, you can grab all that data, that contextual data around the threat. So it does really help. We have a lot of folks that say it helps uh, with just saving time, right? Rather than having to go through a checklist of trying to collect data on that. So. Well, and with all that context, I, I was gonna say, it's just gonna introduce the SOAR concept. Cause you talk about SIMs and you talked about, you know, ticket systems, but there's SOARs, there's vulnerability systems. So much of that information can trigger those systems as well. So that then you don't have one product doing the work. You have all of your products coming to bear. Drews, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to just kind of jump in to kind of uh, double down on, on some of the things that you were just talking about. The, the conversation just started with, uh, 
you know, uh, you're looking at a particular uh, thread indicator and you're finding that one out of the seven or eight uh, thread feeds that you've got actually flagged that, which means one of two things. Either number one, the person who in included that as an indicator was wrong, <laughs> or number two, uh, that the person who, who uh, discovered that indicator was really on top of it and discovered it before everybody else. Because what you'll see over, you know, over the course of several weeks, that that indicator, if it's correct, will end up trickling out to a lot of these other feeds. So you know, the, the degree of overlap to begin with is, is very small. The degree of overlap over time ends up being greater. Uh, anybody who's used some, a tool like uh, VirusTotal uh, will know this phenomena because if you go, you know, they're they're tracking against eighty-eight different uh, different vendors that are that they cooperate with, and when you see that indicator that you do the search on, and it's only discovered by one person, it's almost at that point where you're kind of like, hmm, I don't know if I trust that that thing is actually bad. It's only when you start seeing it in three or five that you're like, okay, yeah, other people are picking up on this. This is where you need to go, and that is the beauty of dossier because you're able to from you know when you're in you know looking at something like like virus total all you're really seeing is you know like what are the other vendors saying about this and that's great you know, do you trust that that other vendor or not from our standpoint when you do that search on the on the indicator you get to find out additional context you get to find out oh let me take a look at the at the ownership um, history of this particular domain. It was owned by somebody very reputable for five years. They let it expire. Somebody hopped on it, you know, like five minutes later, and then all of a sudden it started uh, flagging as being malicious. Or, you know, like there's a whole lot of additional things that are not threat, but there's all this additional research that you can now pull in so that you can figure out that that one indicator that was in that one feed now I've got a better sense as to whether or not that thing was actually real or not, and should I be worried or should I not be? So it's, it's a really phenomenal tool from that standpoint. Yeah, that reputational data helps out a lot. Sorry, I was just saying that reputational data really does help out a lot. So often the indicators that we see are brand new and, and our customers say, there's a machine, we think it's infected and look at the traffic it's going to. What are these other strange domains that have no record from anyone? They're not on any feed yet, but guess what? From dossier or a tool like that, you could see and say, well, this one IP has 500 spam domains already on it or 500 attacker domains. They're all tied to the same owner. They all say that they're registered in the US, but they're all served out of Russia or anywhere else. You know, So you have the ability to see it and make a decision even when there isn't already an IOC to look at, right? That's that's the huge part that people find. And so go ahead, Bob. I was just going to kind of connect some of this. So, you know, I can have this thing start with a single alert, a single event around one IOC. And as I start digging into it, I learned some things about it and realized that, well, but that IOC was because somebody was trying to go out to a site that is a known absolutely that is bad. But then as I start looking at other activity, there's those indicators that I'm not blocking on them because they're kind of that gray area that Drews was talking about earlier. But I can start seeing activity that, wow, they were doing some tunnels. They were, I can see Tor exit nodes being used on that particular system. Things that I don't really trigger alerts or block on because I already have more than I can handle. So, you know, that's below my bar. But from one event, in that threat intelligence, it's, I'm able to pull together so much more data that now I can almost trace the activity back and say that this looks like there's something suspicious going on for five days. And it's only today that the yes, that's obviously bad alert happened. Um, 
but that's right. but then that triggers the investigation side, which is where David, your a lot of your customers like to use your tools is on the investigation response side, doing more of that tracing. But now let's talk about the capabilities of companies to use these tools. I mean, a lot of the, the companies it's still today, they've got three people in their entire IT department and they handle the day-to-day -day maintenance and stuff. But when something like that happens, they need help. And so they're going to go to an outside source. Uh, there are uh, vendors, resellers that, you know, that's their specialty. They do it. There's consultants. That's all they do it. We've got uh, companies that uh, even we partner with it and customers can partner with like Mandiant and so forth that can do that. So there's a lot of threat intelligence people need, a lot of tools they need, but whether they need to have it themselves or they're going to simply hire it out for somebody to bring those tools in when they need it. How does somebody know what, how far can I go? What what can I do with what I've got? I mean, what do they start with? What's the first step? Drews, I'm assuming it's IOCs and where do they go from there, guys? Well, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll just yeah, go in there. I mean, obviously you need to try to figure out, you know, like I said, the, the first step with any of this stuff is just to figure out how, uh, what your level of sensitivity is because you know, the reality of the situation as time goes on is, uh, you know, attackers get more and more sophisticated, which means that that you know we have to rely more and more on techniques like behavioral detection and uh, you know you know using deep learning to be able to see the and whenever you have something that's that's behavior based you know it's going to have a degree of false positives so you have to figure out what's what is my level of comfort for blocking something by accident versus uh, you know accidentally letting something that's that's malicious in so having that you know the, having that decision is uh, uh, made beforehand will help inform everything that you're doing you know. Coming up with a a plan for you know how you respond to these things you know like if there's one thing I'd like to be able to kind of uh, inject in this in the last couple of minutes it's uh there's a very famous uh, film studio that got compromised very famously you know who will go nameless uh, and they had you know like like you said Bob uh, they had a uh, an incident response team of about five people and they were dealing with approximately a hundred thousand alerts every month. So how do you distill that 100,000 alerts down to the number that they can actually legitimately respond to in any significant way? And, and if you're responding to, like I, you know, the example I was giving you earlier on, there's some alert that gets you know, populated in there and then you didn't block it, you, you logged it, and you have to try to figure out whether or not that thing was real or not in as rapidly as you can, because you don't want to spend an hour chasing down a red herring. You know that you know, like how do you triage things so that you can respond to the things that are legitimately the most important stuff? Because when you find these stories, like there's a Ponemon research uh, thing that ha happened a few years back, where they determined that the average uh, when you got compromised, it you stayed compromised for about eight months before you actually got you know detected that it was actually there. How do you shorten that? You know, and and really what caused that is the deluge. It's often Often your alerting system actually saw it, but you weren't able to triage and look at the important stuff. How do you how do you uh, separate the signal from the noise? And that that's kind of you know like figuring out what that process is for your organization, so you can you know stop playing whack a mole uh, you know for each individual thing and start doing some investigative you know like did this thing actually spread? Was it a launch? You know, did it land and then spread to other places or whatever? That's you know having that process in place is uh, is really important. So uh, 
yeah, I, I'd have to agree that it's it's not easy, and any vendor that tells you this job is easy is telling you the truth, right? There's going to be work, and especially if you're wearing a lot of hats, and security isn't your only hat that you wear. So I definitely what we've done is we we know that if you can reduce that noise, as Drew's mentioned, all just down to the point where you have the most important things that you want to spend time on, and then we help you with that time to remediate. Right, those really tough ones help you figure out which which are your most effective feeds, which ones should you be turning on, which ones should you turn off, and how, which ones really you need to spend some time because they might be really dangerous. When we have that kind of thing and we make it easier for you, it's it's always the best thing ever. Just because we need to give you time to work on those really tough ones and and hopefully get away from the noise. But I know it sounds very simple when I say it that way, but that's what we at <laughs> least try to go for, trying to make your life a little easier. Well, yeah, it sounds like everything in security, it's a constant process of innovation, learning, improving, learning, improving, just like everything else. So unfortunately, gentlemen, as usual, we've <laughs> run out of time before we ran out of things to talk about. So uh, Drew, David, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us. Well, and I want to thank our viewers and listeners for their time as well and ask you to join us next time next year as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.